it's so good to be with you all. Um, actually, when Dave Burns called, who Kathy and I both love and adore Dave Burns, and when he called and said, any chance to get you and Kathy to come to Mount Hermon, we kind of went like this. Yeah, we can come because we <laughs> love Mount Hermon. And actually, Kathy doesn't speak all that often. And so because Dave asked, I went, now, do you want to do this? And she goes, yeah, I love Dave. I'll, I'll do it for Dave. So she didn't do it for her husband. She did it for Dave. As we were walking up here, by the way, I'm Jim and this is Kathy. As we were walking up here, um, Kathy said, hey, why don't we do that thing where um, I'll say uh, something that uh, I like about you and also that bugs you, uh, that bugs me about you. So I'll let you, do, I'm really curious to see, I don't care about what you like about me. I always want to know what bugs you. I know a lot of things bug you, but here it is. Okay. So. Um, so you want me to start with what yeah, bugs you? Yeah, you start. You? Okay. Whichever. So the thing that bugs me about Jim is that he <laughs> can fall asleep anywhere. Oh, that's true. Anytime, you know, just like... Okay, he's out. And one night, in fact, we were praying and we were laying in bed, so that's probably not a good place because all of a sudden in the middle of his prayer, there was just this silence. And I thought, oh, he's really deep, you know, in this prayer. And then I looked over and he was like sound asleep. So (laughs) anyway, but a thing I really like about Jim is he has always made me feel loved. Um, And we've been married 45 years, almost 46 in three months. And um, a story about that I'd like to share is this one time we were on a kind of a missions trip in Romania and we were in a pastor's home there just the two of us, and, I, and we, were, we were staying there, I guess. We were spending the yeah, night at their yeah. home, and we were going to do something at the church. And um, that, that morning for breakfast, his wife was out cooking in their outdoor kind of kitchen area, and then you'd come in, and we had this place set up where we were eating, and it was just the pastor and the two of us, and she was doing her thing in the kitchen. And she, you know, he brings out this food, and he's so excited about it. And it's like the greasiest, runniest eggs you've ever seen. Well, that's not only it. I just, I hate eggs. I mean, that is like one thing I just can't eat. So I never eat eggs for breakfast. I'm not an egg eater. And so I'm just like looking at this, and I'm like praying because I don't want to offend them. And so I'm just praying, like, God, please help me to be able to eat this without getting sick. And right at that moment, the wife called for him to come and get something outside in this area where she was cooking. In one second, he went out, Jim took a fork, just took the whole thing and stuffed it in his mouth. And he said, don't ever doubt my love for you. Because he knew. And then, and then the guy comes back and he goes, oh, you want some more? <laughs> so anyway, that's my story. Not really, I'm not that nice. I like the eggs, okay? I mean, I thought they were runny, gross eggs. They tasted all right. Anyway, um, for Kathy, um, it's really hard to find things that I don't really like about her, but she is a little more detailed than me. We're going to talk about creating an intimate marriage. And, and guys, it's not on sex. Well, we're going to talk about sex tomorrow night. But um, you guys will hear the word intimacy, and they immediately go to sex. But actually, intimacy, the women get it. It's on connection. So we're going to talk you know, more about connection. How do we connect? And all of us can, wherever we're at in our marriages, whether we are doing amazing or whether we're like barely holding on, you know, we want to be able to, you know, to try to figure out how to connect. And so part of that is Kathy and I are very different. We'll talk about it Sunday morning, how different we are. But one of the things that we're different is that Kathy is a detailed person, okay? And I'm less detailed. 
She might call it responsible and not responsible, but we are not going to go there today, okay? So our, one of our first fights, and by the way, we have a high-maintenance marriage. So we've been married 45 years, but we have high-maintenance. We've got to work on it. Our next-door neighbor has a really cool Corvette, and it's a high-maintenance car, and he's working on it all the time, and he has a great car. So we have a great marriage, but at the same time, we've got to work on it all the time. So um, one of our first fights was uh, we were living in a very small studio apartment, and it's about 1.30 at night, and I've been in bed for hours. Kathy is at the kitchen table, and she's doing this. And I, I have no idea what that means as a newlywed. I now know what it means. I'm usually in trouble. And she's just doing this. So I do what any loving husband. I, from the bed, I call out and go, Kathy, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm balancing the checkbook. Now, there's some young people. Do you guys know what a checkbook is? I mean, honestly, you guys may not even know. Do you know what a checkbook is? Okay. She does. You don't. Okay. I get it. You... So I wrote a book called Getting Ready for Marriage, and we used to use the word checkbook, and we had to take it out of the whole book because none of the people getting married who were young were ever using checkbooks. But anyway, so she was balancing the checkbook. So I'm like, well, I'm a brand new, we're brand new married, and I'm a youth pastor at a church, and so we didn't have any money anyway. And uh, so I'm like, she's bound. Are, do we, are we out of money? I mean... The most we'd ever had was like $142, so, you know, it can't be too bad. And I'm the one who would just round it off. So I get up, and I said, well, how much are, are you trying to balance? She goes, it's been an hour and a half or more. I'm, I'm trying to balance $1.31. Now, for those of you who are de detailed, you're like, okay, then what's the problem? Those of you are more like me going, this lady right here, I'm going to learn from her, and she is trying to balance $1.31. I did what any loving husband did. I went back to the room, I pulled out a dollar and 31 cents, I sort of slammed it on the kitchen table and said, now come to bed, here's your dollar 31 cents. Sleeping on the couch that night for the first time, but not the last time, you know, was a good thing. So anyway, um, is that a strength of yours or a, or a weakness? I'm not really sure. I think it's definitely a strength. Yeah, well, those of the, the non-detailed people think it's a weakness, and I'm still, I'm still working it out, okay? Um, but actually, one of the most incredible um, wives, uh, wife, wives, whatever, um, and moms, and now grandma. And uh, we actually have the privilege of having two grandkids who live with us, and uh, she uh, was working. She works in the field with autism, those, those kinds of world. Actually retired so that she could be a fully engaged grandma, and... Um, and I watch her in amazement at how she hangs out with those kids, and, and uh, they are just the best, and they love this lady like crazy. So anyway, that's kind of two things about us. So like I said, we're going to talk about creating an intimate marriage the whole, the whole time. And again, what that means is, is we're going to talk about how do we connect. One of, the thing, one of my mentors is a guy named Neil Clark Warren. Some of you know him, some of you don't, but Neil, actually all of you have seen him. He's the founder of eHarmony.com. So he's now in his 80s, but he has this beautiful white hair, and he's still in some of their commercials, although he's not the president anymore. One of the things he taught me that I thought was very interesting, and there's a number of times Neil's going to come up in, in this conversation for the, for the week, but one of the things he taught me is that intimacy is a learned trait. Communication is a learned trait. We're going to talk a lot about communication, especially in the morning, but we're also talking about intimacy and, and communication in the evening, too, uh, tomorrow. But it's a learned trait. So, you know, you can't just blame the family that you grew up with. Both of us came from dysfunctional families. So my, my dad was an alcoholic. My, uh, my grandpa, my mom's side, died of cirrhosis of the liver. Alcoholism all throughout. Kathy's family just has some dysfunction too. So when we got married, we thought it was going to be easy because we were the first generation Christians, and it wasn't easy for us. We had to deal with all of this kind of past stuff. And 
in that, we actually have learned that a lot of, I think, some of the benefit and the health of our marriage, which again, is not perfect by any means, is that we actually had to, to learn this, and we could learn some of the things that we're going to say to you. Tonight, I'm going to quote a great theologian. His name is Vince Lombardi, the coach of the Green Bay Packers many years ago, when he said, when you're talking about football, but when you've strayed away from the basics, you've gone a long ways toward defeat. And so we're going to talk a lot about basics tonight, but basics are what keep us going many times in our marriage, and sometimes we drift, and we drift oftentimes because we're not working the basics. So something like a retreat here at Mount Hermon is, is a good way to start. Many of us get married, and then we get confused priorities. And well, the confused priorities could be that we're too busy, and we'll get into that, that you know, we're, we're distracted, or we have a child-focused marriage instead of a marriage where we put some energy uh, together. We just say, hey, finally, you know, we're going to invest two decades with the kids, and then we're going to be okay. And then you look up one day, and you go, wow, what's going on? That, that's confused priorities. But for us, we had some confused priorities, and it's centered kind of around my life. Uh, I was at a church. After we went to Princeton, came back, I was, at a, I was a youth pastor. They had four kids in the group, and pretty quickly it became one of the larger youth groups in America, and uh, way too quickly probably and out of control. And I'm not bragging about this. I'm, I'm actually saying in some ways I began to drift in my marriage. And it was because this church loved me. I mean, this is a greater miracle than Jesus walking on water. We got a, a, they raised us. They, they doubled our salary in one year. It was still a lousy salary, but that's the case. And um, so by this time, this thing had grown, and the kids loved us, and the people you know, thought we were cool, and you know, all this, and the church had grown, and blah, blah, blah. But the interesting side to it is our marriage was fading. And I didn't know it, because as a guy, I wasn't in touch with intimacy, and I wasn't in touch with what Kathy was kind of going through. She was teaching at the time. And uh, one day, after particularly what I thought was a really good youth group meeting, uh, we were at a place called the Salt and Pepper Restaurant. I totally know where it is. It's in Orange, California. And I was a pastor of a church called First Presbyterian Church Orange. And uh, by this time, we were getting noticed because of the size of the youth group and whatnot. And uh, we're sitting there, and her lips started to quiver. And we have three daughters, so we have no hormones or drama in our life, okay? I, yeah, that's not true. And, um, and her lips started to quiver, and I knew I was in trouble, but I didn't know why. And... Uh, and then she said, you know, Jim, I don't know if we should have kids. And I was like, what? I mean, one of the things we talked about on some of our first dates was I would say, Kathy, you know, well, I would think Kathy. I wouldn't say it. I'd say it in my head. I wanted her to have my babies because she was going to be great with kids. And I love kids. And I, I went, what? And she said, well, no offense, but in the last couple of years, with all that's been going on, I feel like I'm in competition with God because God, not your, that you're God, Jim, but that God is kind of blessing our, our ministry, but yet, wow, you're just not available. You're not there. You're not connected. You work all the time. Um, when is your day off? Um, you know, do you ever take time off when I go to school? Are you still at, at the place or, you know, where we live, or are you, you know, at church and your idea of a date is going to a football game where there's, you know, 3,000 kids. I mean, what do you, what do you, I just don't know if this is working, and I had to be honest with her because of some cute, confused priorities in my life. And, and really, frankly, because as I look back, addictions that my family had, my addiction was more workaholism. And I had to say to Kathy, I'm having an affair, okay? Now, the affair was not with a woman. I saw some of you look up like, I just paid money to come to Mount Hermon and this guy. But it wasn't with a woman, and it wasn't with a man either. Um, but my affair, my mistress was my job. And I was actually getting my low self-esteem needs met 
by a church that thought I was pretty groovy. See, I'm trying to bring back the word groovy. Okay, is that okay? <laughs> I really want, I want that word back, okay? But anyway, um, we made a decision at the salt and pepper restaurant, and we would not be standing here without that decision after I had said it's, it's like an affair. And the decision was this. Number one is that we would have a non-negotiable date night. And that's only 100 minutes, by the way, of your week, but we are going to challenge you tomorrow to, if you're not doing this, if you are doing it, so great. I mean, everything we say, many of you are doing it, I hope. But we're going to challenge you to spend 100 minutes of your week together in a date, on a date. And so we made a decision to do a non-negotiable date night. And we miss, but very seldom. Very, very seldom. And we were just as busy as anybody else. So that was one of the decisions. The second decision that we had was that we would only be out three nights a week. The average person in the church, in the church world uh, is out about five nights a week. And that was too many nights for us. And, and I was out six or seven nights a week, you know, in terms of what I was doing. Okay, just out of control. And so we backed off. See, And then we made another decision, and we called it veto power. We actually wrote it on a napkin. I'll let Kathy talk about that. Okay. So um, veto, veto power helps us to communicate better, and it helps me to not resent his schedule, to not be as frustrated about it, all of the things he was saying. Um, from my side of it, um, I definitely was feeling like I was way down the list of his priorities. So the veto power helps us with that. Um, before, and what it means is before dates and times are set in stone, and that means for anything, that means for work responsibilities, if you're going to be doing something extra, or it might mean like going to a game on the weekend with the guys, or it might mean, um, I don't know, <laughs> you think of something else that... Calendar, anything on the calendar. Anything on the, anything on the calendar that we have veto power. And, and that's not just me having veto power on him. It's him on me, too. And the reason is, what it means is it's not a negative, like you think veto, that's like a really negative word. But it's a positive because then we're talking with each other about things. We're talking about our schedule. And um, we don't always do this perfectly. And I think he already already alluded to that. Um, we sometimes get ourselves in trouble too, where we do different things and all of a sudden we look up and we go, what, how did we end up here? You know, it's crazy. But um, anyway, it helps us um, to um, just communicate better. So we, um, that's our thing. It's veto power. It values, good things about it is it values my insights and my feelings so that he's not just thinking his stuff is important and the same on my side, that, it's, that I'm valuing what he would like and what's important to him, so that it's not just, um, not just thinking about myself. Also, another thing for us, at least why this is important, is I have a better awareness kind of of our home calendar, of the school calendar when our girls were in school. Now, even because we have our oldest daughter and her husband and kids living with us, I a lot of times have a better idea of their schedule preschool, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, I have a better feeling for that. So it's good for veto power because it helps us because he sometimes doesn't know and he might think, oh, I'm just going to do this thing. It's no big deal. And it ends up being a really important day for us. Um, and then finally, if our life gets too crazy, which I've already said it does sometimes, then we can't blame each other. We can grieve our schedule, but we won't fight over it. 
most of the time. Sometimes we do. But anyway, it's just this has been a helpful tool for us as we plan life and as we try to um, bring our priorities in place. You know, somebody said to me at dinner that they were putting aside their cell phone. And I actually think that even having veto power over your social media, the computer, Mm -hmm. the phone, because so many times that's getting in the way of where we're at today. The veto power has been good because we used to argue about our schedule. We don't really argue about our schedule anymore. We grieve it sometimes. I know there was a time when I was speaking for an organization called Promise Keepers, and uh, Gary Smalley, who was one of the other speakers doing my set of, of things, we would do it at different places, but he came down with a problem. He needed to get a lung transplant, so we added several several weekends for me to do that. And we both added it, so we grieved it, but it was too much. It made, it, it made our, our family out of control. It made the balance out of control. So it becomes a really good thing, uh, this veto power. But it, it is about the confused priorities. So if you're going to talk about making your top priorities your top priorities, you know, we would all agree. It's God, then our marriage, then our children, our grandchildren, and then our vocation, but we get it all confused. I get my vocation mixed up with God. I definitely, we've had seasons where it's been child-focused, and so what we've had to realize is that, no, I mean, if you have little kids, like I was, there's a couple here who has some younger kids, it's not like you can go, honey, stay at home, we're coming up to Mount Hermon, there's some peanut butter in the, in the closet, <laughs> and I think you'll be okay and change your sister's diaper. That's not going to happen. It, it shouldn't. At the same time, the priority of, say, a date night on a regular basis, says, you know what, our marriage is important, our marriage is key. And so we've found that, you know, keeping that in mind is helpful. But the key is to not prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. It's going to sound so unromantic. We're going to talk about romance on, on Saturday night. But it sounds so unromantic. But the, you know, one of the things I do in my life is I study stable marriages. I study healthy marriages. I look at the research. I look at the people. I I talk to loads of people. And what I find is that people who have stable marriages, one of the differences is, is that they are scheduling their marriage priorities. Okay? We'll even talk about scheduling sex tomorrow. But it's actually intentional. And so when you're intentional and proactive about this thing, it's going to go so much better. Now, there's a couple of blocks One of the blocks, and I think one of the biggest problems in America, is this breathless pace in which we live our lives. So one of the problems is that we are over, as a, a, especially people who come to Mount Hermon, um, and people who live where I live in Southern California with Kathy and Dana Point, California, where we live, it's, we're overcommitted, we're underconnected. Remember, we're talking about connection. But a lot of us are overcommitted, actually doing really good things, but we're so overcommitted that we become underconnected. And so what goes many times is our, our marriages. And so it's this, it's this breathless pace of life. When I graduated from grad school, a friend of mine, we didn't stay for the graduation. We actually started a ministry up here uh, on the Sacramento Delta. It's called Sunshine Ministries. Kathy and I started it many, many years ago as a camping ministry, actually. And it still goes at a Lodi. But um, we wanted to get there, so we didn't stay for the graduation in New Jersey. And a friend of mine wrote me a note, and he said, Dear Jim, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And he said, love David, missed your graduation. That was prophetic for us because we're not going to be in the arms of another person. We're not going to embezzle money. What we're going to do is get so busy doing good things that we miss the most important things. I remember asking a man named Jack Hayford who uh, has been a mentor in my life, and he was the master of ceremonies at a uh, Promise Keepers event, a pastor's Promise Keepers event at Diamondback Stadium in in, uh, 
Arizona. And I said, what's the, what's the secret to your leadership success? This guy's influenced the world. And he said, you know, Jim, it's not what I've chosen to do. It's what I've chosen not to do. And I said, unpack that for me. What do you mean? And he said, I was just getting ready to go speak, and I'm now totally involved in his little conversation. And he said, I've had to say no to good things to say yes to the most important things. I said, what are the most important things? And he said, that would be my right relationship with God. It's my right relationship with, with my wife. His wife just died here recently. Um, with my kids, with my grandkids, and he named all of his grandkids. And I thought that was interesting because he's a very busy man. He found time to still do his, missionary, uh, his mission work, but at the same time, he realized that he had to say no to some good things so that he could say yes to the most important things, and that's this over, being overcommitted and yet underconnected. When we are overcommitted and underconnected, and some of you can identify with this, is then we live in crisis mode living, and we can't do marriage well, at least we can't do intimacy well, if we're always in crisis mode living. Crisis mode living is when you spend most of your waking moments going from thing to thing to you know, carpool to laundry to whatever you do. Busyness gets in the way. What I've found is that busy people are sometimes broken people. And you know, some of us who are busy don't want to hear that. What we want to hear is, hey, you're busy, that means you're successful. No, busy people are sometimes broken. I'm not saying that we all move to Wyoming and live in a, in a, in a commune. I'm saying we have to figure out how to do it here and now and, and make our you know, priorities you know, totally work on that case. Because again, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, thinking that you're going to get a different result, and you're not going to get that, okay? So, Kathy, kind of put that together for us. Well, um, we have three questions that maybe these are things you might want to write down, something to think about, maybe sometime, like if you're on a hike tomorrow at one of those beautiful places that um, Dave talked about, or, or even after this weekend, just something to go back to on a date night or something. But one of the questions would be, have I, or we, every question I'm going to say is individual and as a couple, stopped enjoying life because we're too busy or exhausted or stressed? And that can happen. You can have seasons like that. But I'm saying, is that a constant? Um, do I or we take time to anticipate and time to celebrate? Because sometimes we're just rushing through everything, and we don't, we don't get to really... Um, enjoy our life because we're not taking the time to celebrate the amazing things that are happening around us all the time. Um, the second question is, um, are we or am I giving our marriage and family less quality or quantity of time? And that's both of those, quality and quantity are important. Um, have we stopped developing new friendships or deepening the relationships that we have? That, and the reason that's thrown in there about the friendships is because that is an important um, signal also if your life is out of control, if you don't have time for your friends or you're just, you know, really on the surface. And then finally, and this relates to our relationship with God, Am I or are we serving or following God more out of duty and responsibility than out of a response to his love? And if we do that, if we're not, if we're not living our Christian life out of response to his love, that can lead to spiritual burnout, you know, especially if you're in ministry or you're serving at your church or leading groups or whatever it is. It's important to keep all those things in mind. Mm -hmm. Got some answers. 
Oh, <laughs> I do, huh? <laughs> um, okay, so one of the first answers we have is to have margin in our lives, which Jim has already been talking about, to cut back, to do less, to say no, and to be proactive with our yeses. So to really think about when we say yes to things, is it something we really want to do? Do we feel God leading us to it? Is it something that's going to um, just add to our lives and add to his kingdom? Or is it something that's just going to maybe pull from us and deplete us? Um, what is replenishing to think about on those same lines? What strengthens our marriage and family? So to think about that, if we're involved in different things that are constantly pulling away from the family, we might want to look at that. And where do we hear God's voice leading us? Um, pray before you say yes and ask him where you should make changes. And then finally, and I think Jim's going to say something else about this, but to look at the deeper issues of why we might be living life this way if we are caught in that rut. And um, what is leading us to overcommitment and ultimately burnout? Some of us, it might just be our personalities that we tend to do that and we just say yes. And, you know, then we're like, oh, wow, how did I get here? But some of us, we might be doing it because of low self-esteem issues. We might be doing it out of guilt for some reason, trying to make ourselves look better. Um, we might be doing it to avoid our spouse and our children. Hopefully not. We might be doing it to earn God's love, and those are all not good reasons to be saying yes mm -hmm. to things. Yeah. You know, as Kathy said that, I've realized we're asking you a lot of questions tonight. I'm mm -hmm. watching some of you just write all these questions down. And so let me add a few more questions. <laughs> uh, when Kathy was saying that, one of the things that I have in my journal, and I keep a journal, um, and I write in it most every day, and um, the question I have at the end, in the back, but it's always there, is am I only giving Kathy my emotional scraps? Am I only giving my, my family my emotional scraps? Because I'm not going to give you my emotional scraps. I'm going to be up for you. I'm going to be there for you. But sometimes we do have to ask that question that because of our busyness, I'm in the middle of a tour right now. It's called Refreshing Your Marriage, and we'll be in South Bend, Indiana next weekend um, doing this event. And I'm talking about sex in it. I'm not talking, I'm going to talk a little bit tonight, tomorrow, we're going to talk about romance, but I'm talking about sex. And it's interesting because the number one reason, looking at sex, the number one reason that couples say they uh, have a, a hindrance to their intimacy and, and sexual intimacy, you know what it is? It's exhaustion. And there was a study done called the Normal Bar, and it was a study of 100,000 couples all around the world. And when they came up with it, the number one reason that there was not healthy sexual intimacy was because of exhaustion. And so sometimes it's just simply that we're, we're too exhausted. And again, what Kathy was getting to is because we have our priorities possibly in the wrong direction. Now, before we get to our priorities and before we kind of build this up, I want to say this. We've got to repair the past, too. Um, you know, the Bible says, by the way, where there is no counsel, the people fall, and in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so, again, what we realize at an event like this, there may be a time that the best thing you could do is say, you know what, maybe we need a tune-up, and maybe we're going to go to a, to a marriage counselor and, and, and talk with them. It doesn't mean you're mm -hmm. weak to do that. It actually means mm -hmm. you're strong to mm -hmm. do that. But when you want to have intimacy, um, and again, intimacy is connection. When you want to develop that intimacy, sometimes you have to repair the past. And so let me say it this way. Be ruthlessly honest about your own brokenness. I had to come to 
understanding that there was some brokenness in my life, partly because I'm not blaming my mom and dad. I came from a dysfunctional family, but I realized that the Bible says that you inherit the sins of a previous generation, to, even to the third or fourth generation. We decided in our marriage, and it's part of our story, that a year into our marriage, we said, we're either going to recover or we're going to repeat. And so we're going to break that chain of dysfunction and, and, re, and recover. And our story of 45 years of an imperfect marriage is that that's what we've been trying to do. But part of that is, is that I have to be ruthlessly honest about my own brokenness, and she has to be ruthlessly honest about her own brokenness. And to be honest, I don't have to be all that ruthlessly honest about her own brokenness. I know what it is, and she knows what mine is. But the second point to that is not only do we deal with our own brokenness. So I was talking with a woman two weeks ago at one of our, our conferences, and, and she was talking about being sexually abused. And then, but she was there to talk about her and her husband not having good physical intimacy. Well, part of it was she hadn't dealt, as I talked to her in a real brief moment, she hadn't really dealt with her own sexual abuse, say. Uh, maybe you came from a family like I did where there was some dysfunction. Have you, have you worked through that? But the thing I want to say, and I've kind of alluded to it, is I've got to focus on my stuff. So you focus on your stuff, and she or he focuses on his or her stuff, see. You know, when I point a finger at Kathy blaming her for my unhappiness in the relationship or whatever it might be, there's three fingers pointing back at me. And so the truth is, is I, I've tried to change her for 45 years. I can't do it. It doesn't work. But I can change me, see. And so there's times when I just need to keep my mouth shut. We have a, a, I have a my brand new book is called Doing Life with Your Adult Children, um, Keep Your Mouth Shut and the Welcome Mat Out, which pretty much describes the whole book. And, <laughs> and yet what I've learned is that some of the best things I can do in my relation, with my relationship with Kathy is actually keep my mouth shut in terms of trying to fix her and just work on me, see? And so that's an important thing. I have a very good friend. He's actually, he was an intern for me years ago, and it's kind of fun now because he's kind of a famous Christian author. His name is Henry Cloud. And he uh, wrote a book called Boundaries, he and our, our other good friend, John Townsend. And uh, Henry says in, not that book, but in another book that he wrote, and he says it all the time, if the tooth is infected, pull it. And what I want to say about repairing the past is if you have an infection in your marriage, pull the infection for goodness sakes, don't pull the marriage. Way too many people think that, you know, it's the whole marriage. It isn't. It's an infection. So take care of that. So if the tooth is infected, pull it. And then, although we won't spend loads of time on this, and I, we probably should, we, you know, we'll have to do it another time, but the idea of forgiveness, forgiving your spouse and forgiving yourself. The person who has shown me the most forgiveness in the world is, you know, this woman standing next to me. And in many ways, I understand God's forgiveness because of what Kathy has done for me. And I hope it's that way, vice versa. I'm not sure it always is. But the truth is, is that we've got to permeate it with, with forgiveness as well. That, and forgiveness for past and forgiveness for even sometimes present, that's critical, to, um, to I think, to having a, a good relationship. One other thing, and we're almost done, but we need a goal. And, and for Kathy and I, we have a, a scripture that's our goal. There's loads of great scriptures. It surely doesn't have to be this one. But the scripture that we want to choose is Ephesians 5.21. We'll put it up on the screen there. And that's kind of our goal. And in Ephesians 5.21, marriage says this. The scripture is there. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's kind of simple, but it's not exactly easy. You know, we'll say things that might be simple, but that's not necessarily easy. 
So what we want is more of a, a mutual submission. So what I want to do is I want to serve Kathy the best I can. Kathy serves me in a great way. And we do that not just on our own, but we do it out of reverence for Christ. So our goal is to have that kind of a marriage. And for us, we've got to ask the question, am I a servant lover or am I a selfish lover? Are you a servant lover or are you more of a selfish lover? I didn't think I was a selfish person until I got married. I really didn't. I went, I'm not selfish. And then in the marriage, I see some of the, even when we had little kids, and it would be the middle of the night, and they would start crying, and she could sleep through. Somebody could, like, beat on her, and she'd, like, sleep through it. And I'm, like, wide awake. I might fall asleep quick, but I'm also the guy that gets, that's wide awake. And so I would, like, nudge her because, I mean, I had a busy day. So she should be the one changing the, I mean, don't all of you agree? <laughs> right. Um, and so I would get up. I would change the diaper. I would take the, her, because we have all girls, to the feeding machine, because I couldn't do a whole lot of work there for how we were breastfeeding the child. Oh, they tried to breastfeed with me, but it wasn't very tasty for them. Um, but what I found was in my selfishness, even if the diaper was smelly, I would like let it go, and she'd go, oh, you have a poopy diaper, and she'd just go change it, see? But I found that there was selfishness with me, that there are times when I was a selfish lover, are there times when you are? Let me show you a film, and it's a, it's, you'll recognize it if you're, and if those guys who aren't, you will never, you've never even seen this film. You don't even know what a Walkman is, okay? But these older people, they know. So I want to show you a film, and you have to tell me if this guy is a, is a servant lover or a selfish lover, okay? Here we go. Oh. There's no intensity to this film, I'm just telling you. Did we freeze it? There he goes again. <laughs> that ain't going to work. We'll show you this film again sometime. Okay? So actually, I'm not even going to tell you it because I'm going to ask that quiz uh, tomorrow. We'll get it, we'll get it working <laughs> and see what, what's up with that. But anyway, what, I, what we have to do is, again, if you want to have a marriage where there's intimacy, then there has, it has to be a marriage based on, on servanthood. And for us, it's, it goes back to that scripture. My job is to serve Kathy. You know, today we had this experience where mm -hmm. it's 640 and we're getting ready to... 615, actually. 615. Yeah. And that's um, <laughs> where I am, you can tell. Uh, I'm, she's detailed. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> And um, so anyways, at 6.15, we are, we are pushing. We have our grandkids. My, our daughter, Christy, and Steve, they have flown to New York to be with our other daughter. And so they're having the time of their life, and we're watching the kids for this short time. And that we're getting the grandkids. I was leaving at 7. No, I had to be, have the grandkids to, be to the seven. other grandparents at 7.20. So we were pushing. And we were like, we we're packed. We we're ready to go. We're coming oh, we here. Oh, we the dog. Yeah, dog. We had all and kinds of things. And the car. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's true. We had the car thing, too. We didn't really take care of that. Well, anyway, Kathy gets a call, and the call is uh, her brother who's on his way to getting emergency surgery. And so... They, they were going to do it in 10 minutes. He was yeah, on the Yeah, in 10 in minutes. He was going to be... Yeah, so she, yeah. we stopped what she was doing. We canceled her flight. I came up here, and, um, and she was with her brother today and you know, came in a, quite a bit later. Um, but in that, what I realized was my job was not to fret about that. My job was to do whatever I could to serve her during that time. And I'm not saying I did it perfectly, but I went, you know what, I wanted to, to whine a little bit, and yet she did exactly what, we were, what she should have done. And, uh, and, I, and I had to actually ask myself, am I going to be a servant lover here, or am I going to be a selfish lover? And, um, 
you know, so some part of that was just going, you know what, whatever it takes for her to be there with her brother and, and, and take care of what his needs were until somebody else could get there. Um, but I just have found that it's the practical aspect where, you at, where that, and it's, it's a daily you know, thing you've you got to add to. Anything you want to add or you want to go to the questions? Yeah, no. So You're we, the question later tonight. <laughs> I am. Okay, so we have some more questions. And again, these are ones that um, we're just going to end this session with. And you can, um, again, do this on a walk. You could um, just find a time, whatever works for you guys. But it, and it's this, in your notes, by the way. It's in your notes. And this is to be thinking about because you've come here for a marriage retreat. And you want to, so you want to focus on your marriage, right? So these are things that can help you to do that. To think about what is right with our marriage, to focus on all the positives of your marriage. And this will give you a good perspective, especially if you have something that's really bugging you in the marriage. This can give you, if you focus on what's right first, it'll just be better all around. And then the second one is what is wrong? And um, how do we get on the same page so our marriage wins? So it's not him winning or me winning, it's our marriage winning. So um, think about that. And then what is confusing? Maybe um, there's changes with different seasons in your life. Um, I know we've gone through a lot of that. And with having our kids living with us again, it's brought up a lot of new issues that we're having to deal with. Um, change, you know, even maybe it's our roles, our expectations with each other. What is confusing? And then maybe what is missing from our marriage? Is there something that you just feel like, you know, this, this isn't happening and I feel like it could or it has before or whatever? How do we get back to that place? So those questions are kind of homework questions for you. There, we've answer, actually answered these questions a number of times in our own life. And don't spend more time on what's wrong, because we mm -hmm. tend to do that. Mm -hmm. but, but what's right? What's wrong? What, what's missing? What's confusing? You know, and, and as Kathy said, for us, what's confusing right now is we kind of have these kids living with us, and it's, an, it's a different situation right now for a, a short time. What's missing? Maybe I said date, and you went, whoa, that's a novel idea. We haven't done that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so you know, have that conversation. What I find is that, and Dave alluded to this when, when he was talking at the very beginning, is that you know, there's a purpose for you to be here, and it's not just to hear you know, a bald-headed nerdy guy and a beautiful woman talk to you. It's actually for you to do some work and roll up your sleeves and, uh, and grow together. Because when you grow in intimacy, you're growing emotional intimacy, hopefully physically, physical intimacy, and also spiritual intimacy as well. And that's the beauty of this, kind of combining this. I want to close with this story. I read this in New Yorker magazine, and I never read New Yorker magazine because I know that's an intellectual magazine, and that's, I read Mad Magazine is kind of my, my style. <laughs> but I read this in this magazine. It was pretty incredible. It was a man and a woman uh, story, and it was actually the story of the woman who wrote it from her angle. And she and her husband had a marriage that was good, but it was kind of drifting a little bit, and they were busy, and they let busyness get to them, and she had a job, he had a job, they were busy. And she ended up having an affair. And she said in the New Yorker magazine that the affair was like fireworks. It was amazing. The physical intimacy was something that she hadn't experienced with her husband um, in ever in terms of what this was like, and it actually cost her her marriage. She got a divorce. And the kids were with her some of the time, but mainly with, her with the dad. And the dad was more together, probably, and she admitted it. 
And uh, she was at her fifth, she takes you to her parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And by the way, I mean, only about 4% of people make it to 60 years of marriage, and 50 isn't that great a percent. So, you know, a lot of, that's a pretty incredible thing. And she was sitting there, and she was watching her ex-husband who was there with the kids and totally engaged, and the kids sitting on grandma and grandpa's laps, and they're, they're toasting and, you know, laughing and having this great thing, and she's sitting there going, wait a minute, I know my parents, and, you know, I mean, they, they didn't have the sparks that I had with my ex-affair, because now she had an ex-affair. And they didn't have the fireworks, and, and yet here they are toasting, and, you know, things are going, what is the difference? And she's watching even her husband and her kids, you know, be engaged with this great celebration, and all of a sudden it hits her, and she goes, you know what it is? It's perseverance. My parents persevered. That they said, no matter what happens, I'll always love you. And in saying, no matter what happens, I'll always love you, and they worked on their marriage day in and day out. Was it perfect? No. Did she see their faults? Yes. But it was the perseverance that took place. They made a decision. They made a, a, a proactive, intentional decision to persevere. And they were the ones celebrating 50 years, and she was the one who was broken in, in many, many ways on several different levels. So one of the things we want to do if we're going to have an intimate marriage in every way is we have to say, we're going to persevere. We're going to make it happen. And you know what I want to say to you? is This should be a positive for you. You're here. The majority of people don't come to marriage conferences. We were talking about, Dave and I were talking about it earlier, that you know, marriage conferences aren't, you know, I've spoken here numerous times. There's other conferences that get a lot more people. But because you're here, because you showed up, then I think that's a start in terms of uh, you know, the process of growing uh, intimate. And we can all become more intimate. One of Kathy's and my prayers, literally, was in our room just as we came in before dinner, was that we not only could share with you some great words, but that we could also grow in our own intimacy. It's not, it, never, it never changes, even after 45 years. Okay, So that's our opening. Um, here's the deal. You're here on vacation. You're here to have fun. Mm -hmm. Kathy and I want to be able to connect with you, so we're here to work. So if, uh, we're not going to do long-term counseling, but we, if, if, uh, if you want to have a quick conversation with us, we have somebody who, uh, a kid who, or we have a marriage that, uh, we're more than happy to do it. The one thing we're really excited about, though, is keep, if you have some questions from this time, there's going to be a Q&A time um, after the, sec the second session, there's going to be, do you know this? You don't know this. There's a Q&A time, and, uh, and you'll be able, to, we'll be able to work on some of those as well with you. But we can also do it individually, too. So we're, uh, we're here to get to know you and, and to, to meet you as well. Let me, let me pray, and then am I going to bring it back up to you, Dave, or are we? Yeah. Almighty God, thank you so much for um, a good start Thank you for these men and women. Uh, many of them drove a long ways to get here, and they're somewhat tired, but at, at the same time, um, there's this thing in all of our hearts that we really do want to grow and connect and, and uh, move toward a, a greater connection in this marriage of ours. And Lord, we bring you our, our stories, and we bring you our, our uh, gifts and our brokenness and all this mess and all this joy, and we say, God, would you... Uh, help us to be all that you want us to be. Give us uh, hope mm -hmm. and give us wisdom and give us um, mm -hmm. strength and give us courage to make the right decisions uh, in our marriage in a good way. And we love you. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Great.